time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Week three in Warrior, the big idea is that we have a very, very real enemy. And two weeks ago, we started talking about this entire idea that every single one of us are in a spiritual fight, whether you choose to acknowledge or not, whether you choose to, uh, whether you choose to see it or not. And so here's the, bi- here's the big idea. If you are a Christ follower, then at one level or another, you are in a wrestling match daily with the forces of darkness because you have a very real enemy by the name of Satan. You wrestle against demonic forces, against powers. And, and hey, you guys, again, Two weeks ago, we talked about this, and it's so funny, because last week, all the high schoolers talked about this in their cadres, and guys, don't miss the, don't miss the importance of what we're talking about, because I think some of you kind of remember, uh, you know, like, hey, what did we talk about, you know, spiritual warfare, it's like, I don't know, beds float or something, I don't know, mattress, Pastor Brandon's bed started floating, okay, you missed some, that was a part of it, but, but you, and those of you who weren't here, just listen to the podcast, but we talked about the weapons and the tools that we have to fight against the enemy. And so tonight we're going to go a little bit, a little bit deeper in this, in this idea. The weapons that we discussed were the name of Jesus, the, the blood of Jesus, um, the word of God. But let's go right to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13 tonight. Ephesians chapter 6, and then starting at verse 10, it says a final word. This is in the New Living Translation. Be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Now, look, I know that this is not culturally acceptable. It's not even politically correct anymore to really believe in the existence of evil, to actually believe that we have an adversary by the name of Satan, a fallen angel that was cast out of heaven, who wants, who has diabolical plans to destroy you and to literally annihilate you. And I know how far-fetched it sounds for some of us, but some of us actually believe the word of God. I actually believe what's written in the word of God. And so we're in this fight. And so, but God has given us tools to guarantee our victory, to guarantee that we succeed. And so uh, I want to show you guys, this is a clip a little bit different tonight. It's about a little over 10 minutes or so long. So I'm going to need you to be really mature. I'm going to need you to kind of listen in, lean in. There was a debate that took place more than about four or five years ago. And it was between there, there, it was this uh, thing that ABC, ABC, ABC had hosted. So ABC News, and you can find the, the, the full interview, the full debate online. I just, I mean, it's hours and hours. And so I just kind of pulled some excerpts and, and I, actually Sean did all of that because he's amazing. And so he kind of looped some things and did, yeah, let's give it up for Sean Shepard. We are so blessed. <laughs> he's the real star behind DSM, honestly. Honestly. Um, and so look, you guys, so we kind of just piece together some thoughts. And again, I just need you to lean in, listen 
Some of the messages you hear on Wednesday nights is more of preaching and inspirational and all these different things. But tonight, I want to kind of wear a little bit different of a hat of a teacher. I want you to engage your mind. I know that it's at the end of your school and you're like, oh, Summer, I don't want to even use my brain. But I need you to use your brain because the enemy's going to feel it if you don't. Okay, so he wants to use your brain. Okay, so, so I want you to lean in and I want you to listen to some of the, some of the, uh, some of the statements that are made. So one of the pastors, well-known pastor and, uh, or was a senior pastor for years and years and years. His name is Mark Driscoll. Another pastor by the name of Carlton Pearson, who was very, very well-known for years and years, um, in, in the church community, kind of drifted away into a false religion, a false ideology. Another guy who's in here, his name is Deepak Chopra. He's a well-known philosopher, um, kind of, uh, Eastern in his thinking universalist. And then the, the fourth person is a lady and she was, she was a prostitute for years and years and years in Las Vegas and ended up getting saved and filled the Holy Spirit and delivered and started this ministry to prostitutes in Las Vegas. But they're all debating this idea. Does Satan really exist? Take a look at this. Pastor Mark, if God is a loving God, Why would he create Satan? I think he created angels and people, and he gave us the capacity to have free will. For there to be virtue, there must be the possibility of vice. And uh, that's what distinguishes those of us, people and angels, from other forms of creation, trees, animals and the like. We have volitional will, we have consciousness, we have moral decision-making. And so God didn't create evil. God didn't create injustice or tyranny or oppression. He created free will in angels and people. And Satan and the demons and human beings have chosen to disobey, to rebel. And that's the source of the trouble. So he can create us and he can create the devil and we can engage in evil, but he didn't create that. No, initially, according to the teaching of the Bible, uh, Satan was an angel. Angels are perfectly good. Those that didn't rebel, um, the Bible says that they honor God and they help us. And they are spirit beings that assist in God's purposes on the earth. So Satan started as one of those and then went astray. And so he walked away from God's intention for him. He's a rebel. So why would God allow somebody who's an avowed enemy of God to continue to exist? Why doesn't God just stop it? Yeah, and the point of the cross of Jesus, according to Colossians 2, is that on the cross, in dying for our sins, Jesus canceled the right that Satan had to rule over us, to influence our thoughts, to have an effect on our eternity, and that ultimately Jesus is coming back to put a final end to Satan and his work. So we're in the middle of history, and the Bible says that God works out all things for good, and so ultimately Satan will be ultimately finally defeated. Uh, Sin and all of its effects will be lifted, and the earth and humanity will be returned back to the state that God intended, which was very good. So even though God loves us, He does allow Satan to exist in our lives, tempt us, and make us miserable. Uh, And he also sends Jesus to die for our sins, sends God the Holy Spirit to tell us the truth so we don't believe his lies, to give us the strength to say no to his temptations, and he allows and enables us to win in the battle that we are in spiritually. Why create that choice? Why not just let everything be peaceful? Well, I think if you don't allow choice, the theologians will say you don't have love. 
that love requires volition and that God does not want automatons, he wants persons. And so the argument is made that if God were not allowing choice, then you wouldn't have evil, but you would also not have love. It's actually a little difficult for me to respond because everything he says is in contradiction to what we know about the physical universe that began about 13.8 billion years ago in something called the Big Bang. Our planet Earth is only about 3.5 billion years old. Uh, the first microorganisms, known as chemolithoautotrophic hyperthermophiles, evolved around 2.5 billion years ago. Human beings have been on this planet for only 200,000 years. We've had self-awareness, written language for about 5,000 years, oral language for about 15,000 years, and self-awareness for about four or 5,000 years when all these literatures evolved. So the Bible that he quotes as authority is totally in contradiction with everything that we know about cosmology, about evolution, about biology, about mathematics, about physics, and about everything that allows us to understand who we are. Which doesn't mean that we've solved the mystery of our existence, which does not deny that there may be a divine intelligence at the heart of creation that is ineffable, that is mysterious, that is sacred. But to suddenly call God a he, I've been hearing all this terminology. How come you're all so convinced that God is a he and Satan is a he? How come we have these ideas that are so mythical, that are so primitive? Why don't we understand that so-called evil is a part of ourselves? Annie said it so elegantly when she said, I was full of guilt and shame. That's what you confronted. Now you want to put that guilt and shame to some mythical identity out there? And yet you did that, but then you took responsibility for your own self. Why don't you give the credit to you? The universe has destruction. Nature is capricious, but nature is not evil. There are forces of entropy. There are forces of evolution. And we do have free will. We can choose one or the other. But let's not create primitive ideas about these notions. First of all, the... the the Satan that you present isn't the one that the Bible does. Uh, he's not all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. He's created and limited. And so the, the Satan you reject is the Satan that the Bible in front of me rejects. Additionally, uh, to say that he's fanged and hoofed, the Bible doesn't say that. That's, you know, Bugs Bunny, Roadrunner. Um, that's sort of their version of it. It's fairy tale, and I don't believe that is the case. But the problem is, is you've got to account for evil in some way, despite all the wars we have fought, all the blood that has been shed, all the dollars that have been spent, all the elections that have been held, and all the programs that have been instituted, evil, injustice, and sin still occurs. And if you say that there is no source for that, and that's Deepak's position, he holds to one. There's one circle and everything's in it. God, Satan, good, evil, physical, spiritual, everything is one. What I believe is two. There's creator, creation. There is good, there is evil. There is God and there is Satan. They are not equal, but they are in conflict. And that gives me great joy because it means there's someone outside to judge what's going on, and there's also someone from the outside to come in and rescue. And that's why we love Jesus so much. When the 
When the scripture says Jesus was manifested for the purpose to destroy, what? It puts an end to the devil's work. The works of the devil. Do you believe that? I believe Satan will have his day, and that will be the end of him. I do believe we're in the middle of history, and I read the end of the book, and I think it's going to go real well for Jesus. So when Je- <laughs> yeah. go but he, but Jesus said, this is the, so the Christian, Jesus said it is finished. What was finished? The work of salvation, the means by which we can be reconciled to God and the sin and rebellion that we have participated in, that that is removed, that guilt is removed. Atone. So there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I agree with Deepak, condemnation and guilt and shame. Let's get rid of that, so let's, let's go to Jesus to get rid of that. Deepak just wanted to weigh in with something. No, I just want to say it's important for us to recognize that we have a darkness inside us. Nobody is saying that we don't. There's a part of us that is dark, that is secretive, that is irrational, that is primitive, that uh, uh, is shrouded in mythology, and we project that outside instead of taking responsibility for it. And once we confront these issues in ourselves, then we don't need a Satan. And I do believe that love is the ultimate truth. I do believe that God is love, but that love transcends good and bad. It transcends good and evil. It is of a much higher order. For creation to occur, you need to have contrast. For you need to have pleasure in order to contrast it with pain. You need to have up and down, cold and hot. So, you know, these are forces of nature. Nature can be capricious, but nature is not evil. Evil has only appeared in the world when human beings show up. Right. And I'm going to pick on you, Bishop. Um, you still have the title bishop, and as far as I know, you still consider yourself a Christian, uh, a follower of Jesus. Jesus spoke repeatedly about Satan and demons, and my question to you is, can you pick and choose what you believe from the Bible? Actually, yes, and I'll tell you why. No, I'll tell you why. Because the Bible is a several thousand year old document that we have none of the original letters, none of the original manuscripts. It was all handwritten. You've got to remember this. It wasn't mass produced until 1400 years after Jesus. So we have all these hundreds of years of men revising the Bible. We have, it was spoken in Aramaic and the Old Testament Hebrew then translated into Greek and to Latin and to German and then 16th century King's English. The words have different meanings. To talk about this very sensitive subject, you have to talk about the Bible. And do you believe it's the inerrant, infallible word of the living God, which I preached with the best and rest of them. And I do not believe it is the inspired word of God as much as I believe it's the inspired word of man about God as best as man can perceive. But the finite cannot perceive the infinite. You can experience infinity and not know it. So the Bible, like the devil, is something we have put together to try to explain darkness and death and light and fear and lightning. I hate to say this because I know it makes some of you uncomfortable. Christianity has borrowed a lot of myth. And the writers, and remember, we cannot prove any of the letters to be authentic because they appeared as many as 70 years after the writers were dead. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospel. And I believe that stuff, most of it, but I'm telling you, a critical analysis of the thing we idolize as the Bible uh, could be very possibly inaccurate. And it's okay to rethink some of these things and still love God and be a follower of Jesus and love people and worship in any way you I mean, some of the claims are poor academically, and you're a nice guy, and we're... Um, I mean, you know, with the Dead Sea Scrolls, there's men like Karsten Peter Thede who would date fragments of Matthew back to uh, the time when the eyewitnesses were still alive. Uh, those who did write the Bible weren't making things up. They got murdered. Peter was crucified upside down. Uh, usually for something like that, there's a benefit. Um, not You don't tell that kind of lie uh, for Jesus' own mother to worship him, his own brothers to worship him, his own brother to suffer as a pastor, to say, this is what people made up. Do you, do you really think that people got together and said, let's create a religion in which there's only one way to heaven, we're all sinners, and hell's hot, and forever's a long time, and actually voted on that, and this is what we ended up with. I mean, were it invented, I, I think we would end up with something totally different, like salvation by eating chicken wings and napping, you know. That's what I would have voted for. So I'm just trying to represent the Christ consciousness, the Christ person, the Christ culture in a way that's not so violent because I don't believe that's the spirit of Christ and it's certainly not the Prince of Peace. So uh, I, I dismiss this, this monster that we call a devil that has so pervaded the thinking of people and then they proliferate that whole consciousness of evil and vice and demons. But if that works for you and you need a demon and you need the devil, have them. I would encourage you to try to find something else. On the subject uh, of is Satan real and after this discussion we've had tonight, which I think has been incredibly fascinating, I just want to give you a chance to, to wrap it up from your perspective. I'm just going to read and leave it at that. Uh, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. I'll just leave it at that. Hey, did you guys enjoy that tonight? A little bit different. It's okay to kind of turn on your brains a little bit. I think sometimes we assume, gosh, whenever we walk in church, we're supposed to shut down our brain and just open up our spirit. But Jesus himself said we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind and all of our strength. And so we should be able to understand and engage because this is the quintessential question. You guys, do you believe in the authority of the word of God? Do you believe what's really written? And a better question is, do you actually live like you believe that the words in the Bible are true? This is the question. And so as we're talking about being warriors tonight, I told you in the next 10 minutes or so, I just want to give you a couple thoughts and we're going to dismiss and we're going to move on. But Ephesians 6 is so powerful because Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. And it's so cool because I got to go to Ephesus just a few years ago with ORU, with some of, the, some of my classmates, classmates and colleagues and a couple professors. And so we went to Ephesus and it's so cool to see some of the, the, the Colosseums and the theaters and, and all of these different things are around Ephesus. But, but this is what he says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. New King James translation, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our fight is not in the natural. 
natural. Our struggle is not in what we see, but it's in an unseen realm. An unseen realm. And so this idea of wrestling is so interesting because out of all the words that Paul could have used, he uses the Greek word that it's pale, P-A-L-E, pale. And, and it means the, the word pale, actually it comes from the word palestra. It comes from the word pale. It was this, it was this Colosseum kind of area. It was a training ground where wrestlers and boxers and these other athletes would all do their training. And so, so let me just tell you about, uh, let me tell you a little bit about boxers in, in the ancient Greek world. So, so how many of you are big boxing fans? How many of you with your family, like saw the match recently? So, so if you were disappointed with what seemed to be kind of like kids play boxing, the, the ancient Greeks would have been repulsed because the idea of boxing in the ancient Greek world, it would be two guys and, and and they, their gloves were literally laced with nails and shards of metal, okay, laced all into their gloves, right? And so whenever they would box, they had to have helmets because literally people's skulls could get crushed. So they had to have their helmets on. But then it was so violent that the majority of the boxers actually died in the boxing, in, during the boxing matches, Additionally, if you look at Greek statues, many times you'll see the boxers with missing nose or noses or they'll have one ear or they'll be missing an eye. And that was because it was so violent. It was so grotesque because it was hand to hand combat that there was always violence. It was the most violent, one of the most violent activities in sports that would take place in the ancient Greek world. And so, and so that those were boxers then, okay, in that same place, wrestlers would train. And so Greek teen, teenage Greek guys were from from childhood raised up. They were trained in the art of wrestling. It wasn't as intense, but it also had this idea of hand to hand, like but one on one, like man to man, woman to woman conflict. But then finally, it wasn't just boxers. It wasn't just wrestlers. It was these people. They were called pancreators. And, and, and what that is, is pancreation. That literally means two Greek words together. It means the all powerful fighters. They were, they were the warriors. And, and what would happen with them is they would be in an all out fight literally many times until the death. So listen to this in an, in an ancient letter, a father had wrote to his sons who were supposed to be, who were, who were um, going to be pancreatists. This is what he wrote to them. And it's on the screen. It says, if you should hear your son has died, you can believe it. But if you hear he has been defeated and he chose to retire, don't believe it. See, pancreatists were, were the cream of the crop warriors. They were conditioned their entire lives and they were trained in this place room as well. But they would fight until the very end. As a matter of fact, the majority of them died in combat with one another just for sport then just kind of died later on of natural causes in their lives. So very different. So the big idea is that all three of these athletic activities, whenever we hear, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, we think, oh, how cute, a wrestling match like, you know, Hulk Hogan or whatever the current wrestlers. But, but, but for them, it would have brought up like blood and like scars and this like intense battle. I mean, literally to many times to the death 
of the other person. It wasn't some kind of cute, like, okay, let's just kind of throw a bomb across and then, you know, we'll just kind of see who comes out on top. It was intense hand-to-hand conflict, knowing that the other person wants to kill you. Literally. And so for Paul, he, he, what he was really saying is, you know what? You know what? For we wrestle not. The intense struggle, the fierce combat that we face as Christ followers, the contest, the challenge, the ongoing conflict is not with flesh and blood. It's in the unseen world. And I'm just wondering how many of us live our lives saying, yeah, I believe the word of God. Yeah, I believe it's true. But deep down inside, we don't live like we have a real enemy every day. We don't live in light of the fact that, gosh, there is, there is an adversarial force. There is a person, Satan, an allegiant of demons who wants to destroy me every single day. I'm not saying this is so fear into your heart. Again, we're not glorifying the enemy. We're not exalting Satan. We are exposing him for the liar and the adversarial person that he is in our lives. Here's the way that the enemy gains a foothold or gets victory in our lives. It's whenever we come in agreement with him, whether in thought or in deed. Whenever you come in agreement with him. What does that mean? Whenever you yield to sin, whenever you give yourself ideology, ideologically, whenever you give over your thoughts to him. See, the real battlefield, Joyce Meyer said it years ago, one of the most profound books I've ever written, the battlefield of the mind. Many times it is the, what is going on in your thought life? Because that's what the person next to you cannot see. That's what I cannot see. That's what you cannot see. That's the area of warfare. That's the area where you need to gain victory. That's the area where you need to say, my mind, my thoughts are submitted to Jesus Christ. I will not come in agreement with the plans, the lies, the attacks of the enemy for my life. See, again, we would all say, yes, we believe it. Yeah, we believe it. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. But how's your thought life? And so here's the deal, because it doesn't happen by osmosis and it certainly doesn't happen by default. Our default is to believe and to think everything, every lie, every statement, every truth, every temptation that the enemy, that the enemy presents before us. That's our default. So if you are not aggressively filling your mind with the word of God, you are losing. And you are called to be a winner. You are called to be a warrior. You are called to be victorious in your thought life. But you guys, this is not, Paul said it best, the race is not given to the swift nor to the strong, but to he who endures to the end. All of the athletic analogies and connections that Paul makes, it would have landed in such a greater way because in the culture, it's like, oh yeah, if I'm an athlete, then I'm training. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to beat my body. I'm going to make it my slave. I mean, the whole man time thing and all these different things of, you know what? I'm going to train for this. I've got to be victorious. I actually care. I want to win. I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want to start well and then not finish well. I actually want to walk victoriously in the plans that God has for my life. And even more so, it can be done by the grace of God. Amen. Warrior. This is what God has called you to be. So fight. 
too many of us give up way too soon. Well, I just kind of gave in. And he was, if you gave it, if you, if you lost a battle, know that the war is not over and some battles you will lose on this spiritual journey. Let me tell you, you will lose some battles. I have lost some battles, but the ultimate war, Hey, I am a warrior. I am called to get up by the grace of God and I will keep fighting against the lies of the enemy. I will fight. And so, so what does that mean? What does that mean? Pastor Brady? What are you, what are you talking about? What are you? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Here's the big idea. You guys, this stuff is not, it's not rocket science. You've got to remember you have an enemy. That's what I need for you to know in this warrior series. You have an enemy. Everybody say, I have an enemy. Okay, and it's not the person at school who rolls their their eyes at you girls or the guy who just kind of like, you know, shoves you in the middle of the hallway or ignores you or writes dirty things on your Facebook. It's not, that's not, you have an enemy, you have one enemy and his name is Satan. Your fight is not in the seen realm. It's not your ex-boyfriend, it's not your ex-girlfriend, it's not your best friend who stabbed you in the back. No, 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 no. Your, Your enemy is in the unseen realm. And the sooner you realize that, the sooner you'll be on your way to victory and overcoming. And so, so, but, but I, you've got to understand, okay, he, he's real. He just, the reason why I showed you that debate is to, I, I mean, I think if we were really honest, some people in this room would say, yes, I've had some struggles with some thoughts and, you know, piecing together things in the word of God and the Bible. And guys, you got to make a decision. Do you believe this stuff? Or don't you? And if you say you do, then hey, it's not. I'm sorry. You can't pick and choose what you want to believe out of the word of God. It's all of it or none of it at all. So you have an enemy. He is primarily overcome by the word of God. By the written, spoken word of God. That should give you hope because you have an entire Bible. We're not behind an iron curtain. We're not in a communist society. You have access both on your phone, your iPad, your whatever, you, you, all of these. And so my question is, how, how much of the word are you reading? How much of the word do you actually know? And how often do you actually speak the word of God over your life? Guys, I am telling you, feelings will come and emotions will go. It's the word of God that's going to stand forever. And, and I wish I could just put it in you. You know what I'm saying? I wish I could, all right, let's just kind of crack open your head and slit open your heart and I'll just put it in you. But it doesn't happen that way. It comes from time spent in the presence of God. It comes from you having a love relationship with your Bible, with your Bible, with the spoken, with the written word of God. And so again, this is so simple. Three simple points. We're closing. I need you tonight to make a fresh commitment to read, know, and speak the word of God. That's it. That's not a big ask. I want the worship team to come real quick. I want to tell you one more story, give you one more example here. But guys, this isn't rocket science. To read, to know, and to speak the word of God. To read, to know, And to speak the word of God. In the book of Luke, the third epistle, the third evangelist in the New Testament, 
Whenever Jesus and Jesus experienced intense spiritual warfare many times over throughout his ministry, throughout his life. Guys, can y'all just take it and just put it right down here? I want to keep it as a visual tonight. Thank you so, so much. There is in Luke chapter four, right after Jesus experiences the pleasure and the delight of God. Okay, make sure it's in the center. The delight and the pleasure. And the pleasure of God. You're amazing. Thank you. The delight and the pleasure of God. He says, the, the Bible says, Luke chapter 4, he was led off into the wilderness. I'll let you guys quickly finish that because we're all just looking at you because you're so amazing. Thank you. The Bible says that Jesus was led immediately into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And it's interesting because Jesus was the word made flesh. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He created all things. He made all things and nothing that was made was made without him. For in him was the light. Okay. And the light shined into the darkness and the darkness could not comprehend it. But he became the word. He was the slain lamb of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, says John. And we beheld him as the only begotten, the only birthed out son of the living God. The word made flesh. Jesus, whenever he went to do warfare with the enemy, what did he use? He didn't use his hand. He didn't just kind of sit down and and, and go off into the corner or die or what. He used the word. He said, for it is written. So whenever the enemy came to him to tempt him, this was warfare at its best. And Satan would begin to breathe his last. Hey, if you're really the son of God, hey, why don't you just kind of take yourself up into this high place and I want you to jump off and surely angels are going to come and he says, no, no, for it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. We shall, I shall not. And then the enemy goes to him again and, and he's fasting. And the enemy says, hey, why don't you just take this and turn it into food? And Jesus himself says, for man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You guys, it was the word. It was the word. Jesus knew the word. Jesus, the Bible says in Psalm that I, oh, God says, 
have exalted my word even above my name. I have placed the authority in my word. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. 